Always good to be at Bernie Bible Church. Thank you. Good to be here with you, uh, worshiping the Lord. Turn in your Bibles to the 46th Psalm. You know, sometimes when we teach the Scriptures or discuss the Scriptures, we speak exegetically. We say, well, what is Romans 6 talking about? You know, we look through it and go through it. And sometimes we look at it topically. We say, well, what does God say about husbands and children? You know, those things. We look at a bunch of passages. Sometimes we look at the minutia, you know, the, 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 we strain gnats, you know, and, and it's, not, it's not bad because Jesus says not a jot or a tittle will pass away. Till. So we look at the tiny things like where Paul in Galatians um, makes a strong doctrine of Christ on the reality that God's promise to Abraham was to his seed, singular, you know, not seeds. So there's an S that makes, right, a pretty big uh, difference. But today, but I want to talk about the, some of the all-encompassing themes. You know, we talk that way, don't we? Creation, we talk about creation, we talk about the fall of man, the condi- these, just these big themes that run from the front of the Bible to the back of the Bible, and it's everywhere in between. But what I would like to do is uh, share with you some of my meditations and thoughts and jot, jotting down of stuff over the years, on just sort of an all-encompassing view of the Psalms. And to do that, I've got to be not all-encompassing. I've got to, I'm got to sort of eliminate the Messianic Psalms. That's a whole different thing, isn't it? But these are the relational Psalms, you know, the ones where the psalmist is pouring his heart out to God, and God's reminding him of certain things, and and there's all kinds of emotions there, isn't there, in the Psalms? I mean, from joy to despair to anger to, you know, vengeance, desire for vengeance. Just, and the psalmist is taking all of his emotions to God and saying, oh, God, here's how I feel. You're going to have to deal with me. So there's some things I just want to share as an overall theme. And with that little preface, let's pray. Father, I request that your name would be honored this morning. I request that your people uh, would be built up through the proclamation of your word and that uh, they'd be encouraged in Jesus and find afresh always their rest and peace and joy in him. And Father, I ask this through Jesus. Amen. I want to share with you four, what I believe are four all-encompassing themes from the Psalms concerning me my relationship with God. They go from the very generic to the more specific. And the first one is right here in Psalm 46. We're going to look at a lot of Psalms, and I'm going to mention some cross-references, so we're going to move around a bit. You don't have to flip to all the passages. It might save you a little time to jot the notes down and check them out later. The first one is this. Uh, God is. That's, that's a big theme, isn't it? There is a God. There is a God. That's what Scripture proclaims. doesn't necessarily give you all argument for the fact. It just declares it. It gives you some argument and natural revelation, the creation showing the creator. But beyond that, there's not a lot. Just God is. God is. And then you got like Psalm, Psalm 10, where it says the fool is set in his heart. What? There is no God. So there you go. There's your contrast. And 
really, when you think about it, everybody, whether they're conscious of it or not, or that they, they're living their lives, they're going through their daily motions and decisions uh, with that thought in mind, with either absolute no thought toward God, maybe not even considering the thought, you know, maybe agnostic at best. And then there's the antagonistic atheist, right? And then there's those who believe in God. And under that big heading, we, of course, are going to concentrate on uh, biblical Christianity, right? What are the all-encompassing thoughts here? For those who say there is a God. Think of this. In Romans chapter 1, it says they knew God, but they did not honor him. As God. So we're this, what we're discussing, or want to discuss this morning, we're not discussing it, I'm sort of just telling it, is that um, we're not talking about our doctrinal list here, right? Do you believe God is? Yes, do you believe? We're talking about what motivates our daily lives. How do we live them, right? What's, what's on our heart and our mind? What's the deepest treasure of our heart that produces and springs up to those behavioral uh, things. So right here in Psalm 46, you, you know it well. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 4 because I just love it, you know. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in her midst. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered, he raised his voice, and the earth melted. And here it is, ready? The Lord of hosts is with us, the Lord of God is strong. And then in verse 10, you know it well, cease striving and know that I am God. And I don't know why, I love the New American Standard, but I don't know why there seemed to be the only translation that felt a change was needed there. You know the King James, don't you? If you've got the NIV, you've got it. If you've got the ESV, you've got it. And if you've got the original American standard before the new American standard, you've got it. And that is what? Be still. Be still and know that I am God. Be still. In other words, there's your, there's your bedrock of your life right there. Be still and know something. Be consciously always aware there is a God and you know, we can do that, can't we? We can stop in the midst of the day when we're starting to get uptight, when we're starting to get frustrated, when we're starting to get, you know, oh, I want to get through this task, right? And you're tired, I just want to get through the task and press and press others around me. We can stop and say what? Be still. I'm not still, right? And, and we can say that, can't we? We can do that. We can say I'm not still. My heart is not at rest. I'm not at peace. And we're vi- at that point, we're violating one of the most fundamental truths of the scriptures, that God is, right? That God is, and so we are to be still and know that he is God. And Hebrews 11.6, remember that as one of the very fundamentals of faith, he says, without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who 
comes to God must believe that he is, <laughs> right? And a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We're not going to come to God if we don't believe what? He is. And it's interesting, we're not talking about our doctrinal statement. You know, if you took a religion course, Christianity 101, it was required, some history course in religion was required in college, and you decided to go on early Christianity, you could memorize the, you know, the Arian controversies and the, you know, the Constantinople thing and all the, all the things, and you could pass the test, couldn't you? You could know the data, but that doesn't mean anything about the way you live our life. And that is where we have to guard ourselves. Because often we think if we know the data, or aware of the data, if we know the truth, that we somehow, huh, things are just going to happen, right? But this is truth we act upon, like acting upon the truth. These are, these are truths uh, that we, toward which we exercise faith, the God of, of faith, the object of our faith. So be still and know that I am God. Be still and know. Again, I want to contrast Psalm 10, verse 4. It says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It says this. It's later on in the psalm, he says, why does the arrogant exalt himself against God? Well, he has said in his heart, he shall not require it. <laughs> right? I said, wait a minute, I thought you, was, thought you thought there was no God. Well, you can't do that. You can't escape that because it's there, right? But he says, God will not require it. And is that not, you know, really? That's premeditated. I'm going to go into this thing. And I know even if there is, even if the Lord is not pleased with it, on the other side I get forgiveness, I'm cleansed, First John 1, 9, right? But that's, that's not how to live your life, is it? With that presumption, with that presumption. So God is. God, he's omnipresent, right? He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. He's infinite. No beginning, no end. He's all-knowing. He knows everything. Nothing escapes his notice. This is the God that is, right? Francis Schaeffer called it the God who is there. <laughs> that's pretty good, isn't it? The God who is there. He is infinite. He's the creator of all. He's holy. God is love. These are, this is the God under whom we and in whom we have our being. God is. Well, that's a good truth, isn't it? God is. But that might, you know, a lot of times we're thinking, well, yeah, I believe God is. And, and for example, there are a lot of deists at the founding of our country, Jefferson Davis would be one of them, who did not believe in the infallibility of scriptures. He published the Jefferson Bible. You ever seen that one? He went through scripture and he cut out all the miraculous, pasted it together and had it published called the Jefferson Bible. He sent it out to some of his friends and, and just cut out all the miraculous. Didn't believe in the deity of Christ, the miracles of Christ. Don't need that. He's just a good example. He says, I, we believe there's a God. He just sort of wound up things and sent them on its way and God is impersonal. We can't know him personally. It's our logic and intellect that must guide us. How's that worked out, by the way? <laughs> not, too, not too good. So the deists can say there is a God, right? But we have to go beyond that to the next overall. Here's the second overarching theme that I see in these psalms that I really like. 
Not only God is, ready? Here's number two. God is intimately acquainted with me. God is intimately acquainted with me. God knows me better than I know myself. Infinitely better than I know myself. And you know what's amazing? He still loves me, accepts me, bear with me, right? God is intimately acquainted with me. You know this passage. Turn there, Psalm 139. Amazing passage. Elizabeth and Chris. Chris got home from Korea last week, and uh, they're leaving for his next station, which is in Tinkerfield, uh, Oklahoma. So they're going to try to make it today, just to rush. But she's got a couple babies, which gives Ellis, Ellen and I a couple grandbabies. And, um, and there's a new one named Zane, the all-adored, you know, all-pampered, all-wonderful. <laughs> and he is uh, amazing to look at, really. It's, it just amazes you to hold him and look at him. And then on top of that, to think, God knew this boy before he was born, before he was conceived. And not only that, he knit him together in the womb. He made him. He's given him his unique personality. He's given him his unique hair color, his beautiful blue eyes. Right? All of these things, God did. God is intimately acquainted with his creation. There is nothing about you that he does not know. Let's just look at verses 1 through 3. We might make a few more observations. The Lord has searched me and what? Known me. He searched me. and my... You know what? If you stopped here in your life and just really grasped hold of those two things, God is and he's intimately acquainted with me, that would do away with secret sin, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, think of that. Think of that's effect on secret sin. The simple reality is there's absolutely no such thing as secret sin. Amen? Everything is laid bare before him with whom we have to do. He sees us all. Secret sin is living as if God is not. God does not see. God will not judge. God will not hold me accountable for this, right? But anyway, he says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou dost know when I sit down and rising up. The little resources I have on the Hebrew say there's, the idea could be seen here. You know my sitting and my lying down. In other words, he knows... Well, to what do we sit, you know? There's things to which we sit, we just, and what do I lie down? What do I, what motivates me? You know when I, you know what gets me going, you know what gets me not going, you know what motivates me, you know what does not motivate me, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, thou dost understand my thought from afar. That's hard to believe, isn't it, just frankly. In fact, I think, is it this psalm? I think he says, these things are too wonderful for me. I cannot grasp them. But they're still true, aren't they? They are not primarily to be grasped. They are to be 
understood and rested in, right? Believed by faith and rested in. I won't say claim because they're true whether we claim it or not. Now, just understand my thought from afar. Wouldn't it be an interesting Sunday? I mean, if one Sunday morning, you know, Charlie got a little word from the Lord there, and he says, listen, I'm not going to do a sermon. The Lord has just decided all, all we're going to sit here for 45 minutes, and he's going to put your thoughts on the screen with your name right there, you know. Yeah. What time do the Cowboys kick off? We're going to get, you know. I wonder if there's a seed over at Chinatown. You know, and, and all, you know, all these things, we, our minds wander, don't they? Does yours wander like mine? It's amazing how our minds wander. I mean, sometimes you, you find yourself thinking of something and say, now where did that start? Sort of trace it back and you say, wow, that was quite the rabbit trail. But he knows our thoughts from afar. I'm finding in my old day, I'm finding I can bring those thoughts captive to Christ. You know, rather than having it wander, not in the evil, not in the immorality, just wander in the silliness, you know. You're, it just wanders, thinks things. And now with Google and Siri and the like, we wonder about something and we want. Yeah, you for, you're watching a football game, you forget what's going on. You say, well, who's that quarterback for Florida in 1992? Hey, Google, who's the quarterback for Florida in 1992? It says... Don't you remember, you idiot? <laughs> no, it's, and it gives you the it. There it is, right? But those things are going through our thoughts. Who is that quarterback? And I wonder where so-and-so is going to be. I wonder if so-and-so likes me. And it goes on and on and on and on. God is intimately acquainted. Listen, thou dost, not just our thoughts, but our behavior, thou dost scrutinize my path and my lying down and art intimately acquainted with What? All my ways. All my ways. He knows your besetting sins. He knows your habits. He knows your secret life. Everything. Listen, his history of your internet is much more thorough than, than Google's. Right? Oh my, his history is... Well, how his history is every word. Listen, before there's a word on my tongue, you know it. Before there's a word... I had a, a good friend, a guy who respect and the Lord said well this is just hyperbole he says is God really that you know intimately acquainted I, I told him I says well listen I he said the hairs on your head are numbered he said the sparrows don't fall without your I mean that's pretty intimately acquainted isn't it our cat gets sparrows it's amazing he jumps up and grabs them out of the feeder uh, but the Lord knows when they'll fall when they won't fall You've enclosed me behind, here's the limits, and before, and laid thy hand upon me. Right? There's your limits. Don't we try to break those limits, you know? God's given you your disabilities, your abilities, your job. He, he said, right? He's put limits on you. And they're good. Here it is, verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Just, you meditate on it a while, and you just go, what? Whew. Man, that is amazing. Yeah, again, like in Luke 12, 6 through 7, here it is. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? And yet not one of them is forgotten before God. 
Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. Do not fear. There it is again. Be still, right? You are more valuable than many sparrows. I don't know how valuable I am. We talk about self-worth and all that. If a man's a worm, well, he is in his lost condition. But God sees some value, at least the value of a good group of sparrows, huh? He's intimately acquainted. Matthew 6, 8 says, God knows what we need before we ask him, doesn't he? he? I mean, think of it. He knows everything. He knows your need at work. He knows your need in your family. And he's intimately acquainted. So we can't say God is ignorant about me or my condition or my needs. Nothing is hidden from him. He knows. He knows. But now as we go on to number three here, this third sort of all-encompassing idea, right, about God. We got God is. And secondly, God is intimately acquainted with me. But we got to, I'm thinking in my mind to, to understand it rightly, to enjoy it properly. There's a third thing I've got to add to that, a third all-encompassing truth that I find in the Psalms. Turn to Psalm 118. Turn backward there. Psalm 118. This is a, an idea I uh, probably spend the most time thinking about. And number three is simply this. You might say, God is, and God is intimately acquainted with me, but he doesn't care about me. Right? In fact, sometimes the knowledge of God can make you frustrated and angry. In other words, if you were an atheist, you'd say what? A run of bad luck. Run of bad luck. Things haven't turned out like I expected. I'll go do whatever, you know. I'll go have a drink or two. Right? But when you say, there is a God, I'm a child of God, and look where I'm at, you say, what? Ugh. And that is such a big theme in the Psalms, right? It's a big one. Lord, how long shall you forget me? Forever? How long shall I go on mourning in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all day long? Right? David says, I was sinking in the mire. What a picture of life and circumstances. He set his hand behind us before us. We tried to break out, and we just what? We sink in the mire, and we sink in the mire, and we think what? The water shall consume me, and the flood shall overflow me. But no. Because here's the third truth. God is for me. That's the one. That's the, let's call it the launcher. (laughs) I think that's the one that separates a joyful, restful Christian from an anxious one, right? From an anxious and worrisome Christian. Let me repeat that. I think this is the one, this truth, acting upon this truth, is what separates the joyful Christian, peaceful Christian, restful Christian, from the anxious and worried and downcast Christian, right? This simple truth, God is what? For me. I've gone through long stretches of time when I thought uh, a lot of things or someone was against me, and that may have been right. They may have been against me. Does that make sense? I may have seen it right. But here's the verse. Here's the truth. 
you'll trust me and you can read it through and find it's not out of context. It's, it's right there in context. Verse 5, ready? Psalm 18, verse 5. From my distress, I called upon the Lord's. Right? So here's the distress. In the midst of the distress, we feel God has forsaken me. God has abandoned me. God doesn't care anymore. There's a psalm, I forget what it is. I may have jotted it down somewhere down here. But it says, yeah, Psalm 77, 10. He goes, things are going wrong. Things are against me. Nothing but pain and sorrow. This is a great paraphrase here. But he says this. God has changed. (laughs) God has changed. His loving kindnesses have ceased. He has ceased being merciful. Psalm 77, 1 through 10. That was his conclusion. He says, when I think about God, I get anxious about it. I get... Because I'm imagining something that is false about him, and that is he doesn't care for me. He cares for you. He cares for you. Psalm 118. From my distress I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. Who did it? God did it. When did he do it? We're not told. But we know it was in his good season, right? We endure for a time. There's suffering for a time. David was pursued by Saul, and just about at his wit's end, his men were uh, leaving him. He had lost all his family and goods at Ziklag, and they were thinking of stoning him. Had to be the lowest point of his life. So not only was Saul now pursuing him and all his army, but now his own men were thinking of stoning him. Forget this David guy. Three days later, he was anointed king of Israel. Three days later, think of that. All of a sudden, boom. Everything changed. He was sinking in despair, sinking. When I was sinking down, remember that old song? Sinking down, sinking down. It's a great one. What wondrous love is this? Now look at this, verse 6. He set me in a large place. Here's the declaration. The Lord is for me. Here's the, here's the first consequence of that. The Lord is for me. I will not fear what can man do to me. He can do a lot of stuff to you, can't he? He can throw spears at you and try to pin you on the wall. He can put you in a pit like Jeremiah. And sink up to your waist in muck. <laughs> Man, he can put you in the stocks. He can beat you with whips or rods like Paul. But can he separate us from the love of God? No. Can he steal a position from us? Can he usurp us? Well, he can try to usurp. But does any of that thwart God's plan for you? No. They tried it on Joseph. Remember that? They tried it on Joseph. And Joseph, what a guy. What a model, right? Just, he saw it from the beginning. He, from the very beginning, he saw it, that God was with Joseph. God was with him. And he said, no, no, y'all don't fret. You meant it for evil, but what? God meant it for good. God meant it for good. 
And not only Joseph, but you know the great passage in Romans 8, for we know that God is causing all things to work together for good to those who loved him, it's not everybody, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, which is to be conformed to the image of Christ. Nothing will separate you from that plan. He's conforming you to the image of Christ. He knows the end from the beginning. Your glorification is as as accomplished as your justification. Your end is certain. And God is for you. Well, how much is God for you? How much is he for you? Well, here's how much he's for you. That same passage, Romans 8, said... God, if God did not spare his own son, but delivered him us, delivered him up for us, how shall he, the Father, not give us every good thing? Every good thing we need in Christ. Is there any good that God withholds from those who are his? Does he know how to take care of his children? But oh, I, it's, it's, I, I, I just see and talk and see, read some of these posts on the internet, you know, that uh, people don't believe in the goodness of God. Some of them Christians, questioning God's love. And well, that's understandable. Everybody's done that, right? But that's where we gird up the loins of our heart and mind and call upon the name of the Lord. Lord, let not my faith fail. Sustain me in this. I know I'm thinking wrongly here. This is not straight thinking. And he does. And he does. Because the Lord is what? For me. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Fear is the opposite of faith, isn't it? Fear and faith. We're either living in fear or we're living in faith. I've known people who are just afraid that they're going to lose their job. Some lost it. <laughs> and then they lost it. <laughs> and, but most folks, well, they didn't lose the job. Everything they were worried about, anxious about, concerned about, never happened. Never even happened. So much of what we worry about never takes place. This never takes place. So why borrow trouble? Isn't there enough trouble for today when I have to go home and see that dining table heavy laden with Father's Day gifts, you know? <laughs> Packages and bags bursting at the seams with all kinds of delightful things. Man can hope. <laughs> no, we don't need, to, we've got one day to think about. And what's that day? In fact, you can divide that day up, can't you? Chunk by chunk by chunk. So often I'll stop during the day and say, Lord, just right now. Just now. I want my heart at rest. I don't have to stop what I'm doing. Just stop what I'm doing. I'll bow my head sometimes. I like that. And I'll say, Lord, I need you. I need you right now. I need to trust you right now. I need to rest in you right now. I'm not going to move from here until that rest returns to my soul. That thing that was getting me, 
I'm going to cast it on him. I'm not, I'm going to, it's all his. If he fails, I fail, right? If he pulls the rug out, boom, I'm gone. That's fine. That's his business. But lo and behold, he does not pull the rug out. You set your feet on solid rock, doesn't he? He makes your feet like hinds feet in the heavenly places, in the high places, rather. God is not apathetic, put out, or against me. He demonstrated his concern that while enemies, Christ died for us. He gives us all things richly to enjoy, doesn't he? And music and talents and sports and friends and delightful places like his. All that richly to enjoy, but it's no substitute for him. It's no substitute. None of that can give you rest, can it? None of it. It doesn't work. It will never work. There's no social site on any internet ever imagined that will give you rest, fulfillment, and peace. It won't happen. It won't happen. But finally, there's another fourth thought that I find all-encompassing in the Psalms. The first one, of course, what? God is. God is. The second one, God is intimately acquainted with me. You know, I know folks who are just tied up and they're worried about, am I doing enough? Should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? And that's got to go. It's just got to go. And it can't, I'm like that. You know, Lord, I failed you today. I, you know, I shouldn't have broke that toothpick so hard. You know, I just, every little thing, like David cutting, every little thing weighs on my conscience. And the big things, of course, even more so. But we, we just got to get rid of that. You know, am I performing well enough? I was raised in, in the Roman church where performance was everything and guilt and burden and work and duty and responsibility. And you never knew if you were absolved, right? But no, God is intimately acquainted with me and God is for me, right? God is for me. But the last one, you know, I could say all that and I said, well, yes, but... I do not have what it takes to experience all that. I, there's, that's very nice. I'm glad, Mr. Bushhouse, you're enjoying that a little bit. But you don't know me. Well, I do know you. And if you're his, I know your father, right? And I know your Lord, and I know your shepherd and king. And, and he's good, and he does love you. Just rest in it. Accept it. Accept in it. The fourth one is this. God is dwelling and working in me, right? Ah, God's at work intimately. The one who knows me intimately, the one who cares for me and is acquainted with me, is at work within me to will and to do of his good pleasure, right? Philippians 2.13. God's at work within me. What's happening in my life? Nothing's happening in my life. Sure there is. Nothing's happening that you want to happen, maybe, right? Nothing's happening that you want to happen. But there's plenty happening. We just don't see it all. Does that make sense? We just don't see it all. Lord, am I bearing fruit with my ministry? Am I being a good wife? Am I being a good husband? Am I, am I, am I a good servant of the Lord? All these questions are not illegitimate. But after due diligence in searching yourself, and there's a time when we just, what? No, we continue on. And listen to this. I mean this. In, in, a, in a, I hope, appropriately biblical way, we do the best we can. 
We, do, we, we make the best decisions we think we know. We, we look at the Word of God. We get some counsel now. And we, and we go forward with life. I may err. I look back. And I what? I've erred. I look forward. And I will err. But listen. But God's at work. He is at work. None of that shall cease His work. Look at Psalm 138. 138. See, here's the thing. We get this backward, don't we? He, we say, I'm, I'm the potter and, and I'm the clay. <laughs> I'm the sheep and I'm the shepherd. I'm the subject and I'm the king. <laughs> I'll tell me what to do and say and go. We're, right? I king myself. But no, none of that is. We are his workmanship. See, I'm the vessel. He's the potter. We are his workmanship. We're what God is doing. What is God doing in the universe? He's doing you. And he's doing me. And he's conforming us to the image of Christ. He's making up a people for his own possession, a a people whose glory cannot presently be imagined, scriptures say. We get little shadows and glimpses into it, and that's pretty nice, isn't it? I was talking to Alan, we were driving down here, and I told Emma, I said, Here, I said, I found this new artist I really like. And I would say 20 years ago, I thought these, I would think these guys are nutty, you know, and oh, what a bunch of hicks. And it's, it's some old bluegrass gospel, not to be confused with country gospel, that's a little edgy for me. But the bluegrass, and what I like about it is they're always singing about heaven. These songs were written and performed, you know, before there was any really music industry, you know what I'm saying? And these people really suffered. Mountain people with a hard scrabble get by life. And they sung of heaven. They thought of heaven. Glory land, they called it, you know, heading to glory land, you know. Sappy, I'll admit. But nevertheless, what? I think, for me at least, now in my life, they're quite heart-lifting. Doyle Lawson in Quicksilver, if you want to do a quick review, you know, put something on your Spotify or Pandora station there. It's good stuff, because it's singing of the glory that is to be revealed in us. And I'm resting in that. God is dwelling in me. He's working in me, bringing me to glory. Christ in you is the hope of Glory. He is the confident expectation, the confident expectation that before me lies a great place, a great savior, a great future. I mean, the idea of free of pain is enough to rejoice about, isn't it? The idea of no more tears is a good one. That's a good one. How about no more sorrow? Death. In fact, if you read from Genesis to Revelation... The whole story, I'm beginning to think, is the plan for Jesus Christ to restore in himself what was lost in Adam. That's it. Because in Genesis early on, you see what we call the fall of man, right? The ground cursed, man separated from God, sin and death enter the world, etc., etc., etc. Then God chronicles that sinful man through various dispensations, the way he organizes his rule over them, and, right? But then the book ends in Revelation, 
And what's it say right there at the very end? And there will be no more curse. That's it. Old things have what? Passed away. Everything, what? So see it that way. Think of it as this, that you are part of this new regeneration, this new heaven and earth that God is preparing for his bride, his people. That should be, that in itself should be enough. Shouldn't it? It should. Because God is working in me. His present activity is proof and down payment of the good that is to come. We only have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. Look at Psalm. Did I get Psalm 138 yet? Let's go there now. You know the, I'll give thanks with all my heart. I will sing praises. Very, very common psalm. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, verse 7, thou wilt revive me. Thou wilt stretch forth thy hand against the wrath of mine enemies. Thy right hand will save me. Now look at this. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Who will? The Lord will. Will your fretting assist him? Will your worry, will your complaining, will your trying, will your pressure on other people to do something you want to satisfy you, will all that pressure help God's plan? If anything, it hinders. It doesn't hinder his plan, but it hinders you from enjoying it, doesn't it? It hinders you from resting, resting in it. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Thy loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Thy loving kindness, O Lord, is today. It's tomorrow. It's the day after. It's the rest of my life. It's the rest of your life. It's for all eternity. For nothing created, neither angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor dominions, nor things past, nor things present, shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. God is working in me, and he is dwelling in me. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Thy loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Look at this. Do not forsake the works of thy hands. He recognizes himself as what? Just like Ephesians says, we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. We are what he is doing He's not making you rich. He's not making you famous. He's not making you healthy. Though we enjoy some of that, don't we? We all enjoy those things to a certain extent. Not making you popular. Not giving you a unique and expanded ministry. Not All that might be possible. But what he's doing is conforming you to the image of Christ. That's the bottom line. That's what everybody, that's what he's doing in everybody, every Christian, no matter what lot, no matter what gift, no matter what social background. We are his workmanship. I do not have to seek him or reach him by my own resources or efforts, right? It's not okay. If I can conjure up enough to get to Jesus, maybe he'll find some, something he can do about it. No, he is doing something about it. Before I even think, before the foundation of the world, he had it all ordained. My sanctification is his responsibility. I've been pla- I place it there 100%. Well, doesn't that make you lazy and want to sin? Well, try that. 
Try that for a day or two. Just like, I'm going to be lazy and sin because you can't do it. <laughs> right? His loving kindness, what constrains you? My sanctification is his, and the very fact that it is his responsibility brings me to the rest, peace, and joy that is, I think, bedrock to my sanctification. Right? Without these things, it doesn't matter what gift you have if you're a bitter old fellow. And it doesn't matter what kind of preaching you do or don't do. But to have the sanctification that is in Christ and the rest that is in Christ is a good thing. It's his responsibility. I entrust it all to him. It's all in his. I have everything, these are Peter's words, I have everything necessary for life and godliness through Christ who is at work in me. Amen? Let me review these real quickly. Here's these over-encompassing. You might want to add number five in your own study. That's fine. But here's the four things that I see in the Psalms that are just so often repeated. So often repeated. One, there is a God. God is. Number two, God is intimately acquainted with me. God is intimately acquainted with me. Number three, God is for me. God is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Repeat that one. God is dwelling. Number four, God is dwelling and working in me. For it is God who is at work to will and to do of his good pleasure. Let me pray for us. Father, this is a precious uh, group of people, unique to your family who love you, but I know of a certainty because we are all of the 